We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. NFL week one is here it's maybe coffins for best ball season and managed league season but I'm here I'm Eric Beinfor at Eric Beinfor on Twitter I'm super pumped to be bringing in Ben Gretsch at Yards Per Gretsch on Twitter. We're doing a little kind of DFS season primer today. Um, not like a DFS 101, but a little a little look into, you know, maybe some things, some angles that we can take for this NFL season since we've all been grinding all these drafts and everything all, all year, and there's so much uncertainty heading into every single NFL season, and maybe some some unique perspectives that we can take heading into week one. And, and Ben is going to be joining me on every Sunday morning. You get to see our two ugly mugs every Sunday morning on rotogrinders.com. Um, so I'm super pumped to be having a, a conversation now before the season starts with Ben to kind of pick his brain a little bit on some angles we can take early in the season because I lean on him for some of these player takes. So, uh, uh, Ben, th- thanks for joining me. And, and I'm pumped for, for week one to be here. Yeah, me too, man. I mean, like... Sunday morning is always rough. Everyone, a lot of people know I read the Stealing Signals uh, article. Uh, so for me, you know, Sunday through Monday through Tuesday is always my roughest period. So I was like, oh man, the Sunday morning show when when you guys asked, like, oh, I don't know if I can if I can do it. But um, getting an opportunity to do it with you is like the biggest pull because you are so sharp on the uh, like I always think of it as like DFS and, and then football analysis skills as being sort of separate. You're so sharp on all the DFS skills. Those are maybe not my sharpest uh, levels, but um, I think you and I are going to complement really well. I'm super excited to talk down the slate um, every Sunday morning and then, you know, kind of sharpen my lineups before lock. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then, yeah, today you said we're, we're going to talk a little about some early season uh, edges to find big picture stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and thank you for the for the compliments. But I do. I, I was really excited. Um 
to bring to bring you on when I knew I was doing the Sunday morning show. I was kind of I was kind of pitching you because of exactly what you said. You're not I'm biased. Obviously, we're both we're both biased. But I do think it's a good combination of of kind of uh, not even like just like skill sets, but like methodologies, the way that yep. we think about things. You know, I have my football takes and you have your like game theory takes. But like, you know, you, you, I trust you for some of the, the player type stuff, you know, even in obviously everybody knows I've been in the best ball streets and, and, and you have too, and, and in the season long streets. Um, but, you know, listening to people like you on some of these specific player takes and then hopefully applying some of my more like DFS mindset to things, I think really it will be really like a, a, a informational and really helpful kind of blend of, of methodologies on on Sunday mornings as people are kind of polishing up up lineups but yeah we're gonna like you said, I, we're, I so. we're gonna we're gonna find some stuff that that wins people money for sure I, I i think so too and so with that being said week one is such an interesting kind of dynamic where you know dfs has become such a projection focused game and salaries are always just going to be the softest in week one right the contests come out way way ahead of time and and even in the early part of the season right um like week two might even be the bigger edge over over week one because we're going to get these crazy overreactions right somebody goes off in week one or somebody has a role we didn't perceive in week one and then week two you know that that everybody piles on you know that guy that we didn't perceive and then maybe week three is the same thing so the thought process around kind of this conversation is what are some of these early season things that we can that we can start to look at now before we really, really start? You know, Sunday, we're going to dive into the slate, right? All the players and all the salaries and stacks and all that fun stuff. But what are some things that maybe we've taken from this entire summer that we've been talking about all these players, you know, for five months? What are some of the things that we can take into the season, whether it's undervalued offenses, right? Maybe some breakout players that that aren't going to necessarily project that well early in the season. And so the first thing that really kind of comes to my mind when we start to talk about that is basically like younger players. I think this season in particular, there is like maybe the most interesting group of rookie and second year players that I can remember. Maybe, maybe I'm just biased because I've been so in the weeds on these guys. Um, Well, last year, I don't think you're biased. Last year we had, I believe it was 19 wide receivers in the first three rounds and a really high number of running backs, uh, just a ton. So we have a ton of guys going into year two, like just more skill position players hit last year in the first two days of the draft by teams, teams, teams thinking that was a really strong class. And then this year we have a lot of, a, a lot more really, it's another really interesting, strong rookie class. And so I don't think you're wrong. I think it actually is a really strong year one, year two class right now. And, and so, you know, not to dive too, too much into like week one salaries, I will be really fascinated to see like week two salaries, um, like particularly on DraftKings, where we were talking a little bit before the show, you know, like all these rookies are like min priced or close to min priced. Um, you know, like even we were talking about the wide receivers, right? Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, Terrace Marshall, all these guys are min priced. Even the the Marquez Callaway is the guy who um, is probably going to get get a little bit of steam. He's he's close to min priced. Javante Williams is min priced. You know, there there's all these young guys. Um, Lavisca Chenault is five k, right? If he breaks out like we think he's going to break out, five k is a laughable. It's just an absolutely laughable price. There's all of these guys, right? I'm naming specific names, but there's like I don't know. There's probably twenty of these guys. That, that we could legitimately make a case should probably be the stone chalk if if they break out in a way that we think that they're going to break out. 
but like they can't all be owned. Right. And I actually think very few of them are going to be owned because people are viewing it kind of like you said, we were, we're latched on to projections and more certain situations. And some of these guys are in, you know, and Elijah Moore is in a fairly uncertain situation. It's more of a, a bet on talent. And so what, what, what are your just kind of like overall thoughts in terms of early season DFS as it applies? I know you're on those guys for, for season long, which are early, you know, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, et cetera. Are those kind of guys you're latching on to, to kind of bet on talent early on? Yeah. I mean, that's like one of my favorite parts of the early part of the season. I mean, obviously um, we're trying to find, you know, smart ways to, um, to, to gain leverage, right. On, on ownership, on, on thinking probabilistically, that's one reason you and I want to work together is we both think very probabilistically. So like, even if we have sort of different skill sets, we're going to, we're going to jive on that kind of thing. Um, you know, I know obviously <laughs> enough about, about DFS um, strategies and things that to understand that what we're trying to understand, what we're trying to build is um, strong probabilistic bets based on not just projections and price, but obviously ownership as well. The thing that I found over the last several years uh, in the early part of the season is these young guys are just such strong bets in that sense because people aren't going to be on them yet. The projections aren't going to be on them yet. It's a really easy way to gain leverage on, you know, a lot of the sharper DFS players that are going to be out there looking at projections, finding ways to, to leverage projections. If you want to build leverage off that, there are some really good upside young bets. And then I, I would, you know, I, I think there are some that are good and then some that are maybe – not as good. One of the important things with young players is understanding that their prospect profiles still matter a ton. I talk about this a lot, like in my stealing signals columns and stuff, this idea of the long view for young players. What's, what's hard to keep in mind is like what we've seen at the NFL level, even the ones going into year two, very small sample. And we, we should consider what they did in college is also part of that sample kind of. And so that was a big reason. Like a lot of people know I was on AJ Brown really heavy last year. It was not just that he was an awesome as a rookie, it was also that he had basically a perfect prospect profile in college and DK Metcalf was so good as a rookie. It's kind of like this Jamar Chase thing where like, look, these guys played together. Chase was better than, than Justin Jefferson. Now that we've seen Justin Jefferson come out and be really good at the NFL level, it makes you think even higher of Chase. That's where we were at last year with AJ Brown and Metcalf. It's like, well, AJ Brown and Metcalf, when they played like 20, ga 20 games together, I think in college, Brown had more than double the receptions. He was like a way more dominant player from a, from a volume perspective and all that. That was really important. So when we're looking at the different profiles of the rookies and second players, it's not just going after the young guys. It's obviously the the smart bets, the ones that we were on for season long and all those types of things. Um, I actually, you know, we were just talking, it, it, we're recording on Tuesday. I haven't even looked at the week one matchups a lot. I've been grinding a bunch of like high stakes yep. season long drafts. Um, so I don't have any like great names at first, but we were talking just before the show about Elijah Moore. And you were saying people are going to be probably a little bit more on Corey Davis, who's priced up. I think from a probabilistic perspective, Davis looked good in the preseason. I, I love this stat targets per out run. And the funny thing in the preseason is he only ran like 15 routes and he got targeted like, you know, I don't know the exact number, but he got targeted like 70% of his routes is what it was. <laughs> um, but I do think probabilistically, especially early in the year, there's plenty of opportunity for Elijah Moore to basically be better than him right away. I think there's a huge overlap in what they could be right out of the gate. Um, you know, we got we to gotta make sure Elijah Moore's fully healthy and, and, and totally running uh, at full speed and not being kind of brought along slowly. But the fact that he, you can get a guy that's that cheap, that could basically just be a star immediately and, and also may, may go very low owned is, uh, is absolutely something that you got to consider. And especially in like larger tournaments and things like that. I mean, it's just a, it, it's the way to play it. Look at Justin Jefferson early last year. I think it was week three where he really started yeah. breaking out. 
Uh, Calvin Ridley a couple years ago had the monster week two after like getting shut out in week one. Um, no catches, I think, in week one. And then he had like a three touchdown week two. These guys are going to be a little inconsistent early, but we don't really care about that. We're looking for, you know, the booms. Yeah. The Elijah Moore thing is also super fascinating because uh, Jamison Crowder has a little bit of uncertainty around his week one. You know, he's on the COVID list. Um, and I don't know, you know, we, we don't get a lot of information. Eventually we find out kind of on the vaccination status of the guys, depending on when they, when they come back, but we don't get a lot of, you know, um, confirmation around guys' statuses, at least not now. I mean, we'll know before, like we talk on Sunday, obviously, about about Jamison Crowder. But, you know, if you remove somebody like Jamison Crowder from the situation, you know, the, the concerns about how much is Elijah Moore going to play, you know, how healthy is he or whatever, uh, start to start to remove a little bit. And I, I just think I, I, I went through, I tweeted about this. I went through and I did. Today was actually the first day I like really looked at you know, who's playing who and the prices of, of all these guys. And I went through and I just found myself like, that's why I wanted to talk about this first. These younger players, you know, first year, second year players uh, are the guys that like, I want to tag. like, that's all I want to tag is like all the, the Rondale Moore, Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, LaVisca Chenault, you know, um, all those guys, those are all the guys that I, I want to tag because they're so cheap. And I look at like our ownership projections are up in lineup HQ and they're like, no one is chalky either. Um, Kyle Pitts is another guy that I tagged and he is a little bit um, more popular, but same thing. We don't have this certainty around their role. I mean, I guess we have a little, un- a little certainty around Kyle Pitts's role, but even then we saw he, he played two snaps in the preseason. So like, we don't have that much certainty. So all these things are just keeping the ownership in check on all these guys. Like somebody else tweeted about this, I think um, that it was a, it was almost like a gift from God that Elijah Moore kind of got dinged up early in camp and we didn't get to see him mm-hmm. in the preseason because if he came out and did what Corey Davis did, he, I mean, his week one DFS ownership would be like, what I mean, over fifty percent. He's three. He's min priced on DraftKings, and if he was stealing those targets that Corey Davis got, we would be having a very different conversation than what we're having today. So, um, I'm, I I, t- I couldn't agree more on guys guys like him. I'm certain we're going to be talking about like Elijah Moore and those guys more on on Sunday. But was there? But like wrapping up kind of that that uh, you know rookie second year type type guy. Was there anybody else that kind of jumped out to you just in your kind of you know, or just off the cuff, basically, like rookie second year guys that you had already kind of thought you wanted to target early in the DFS season. Yeah, I mean, I'm coming around on um, um, on Jerry Judy, who I was a little bit down on. I, I don't know if you mentioned T. Higgins. I love LaVisca Chenault. Mm-hmm. Um, any of those types of guys, I think one of the things I try to remember in DFS, even though it is a weekly game, is – everyone is paying attention to the weekly trends and there is, I think, an edge in, in keeping this long view mindset. Uh, one of the things that was relevant from both of the Justin Jefferson and Calvin Ridley points is those guys went on to become sustainably great players. And they're both going in, in the first and second round of, of drafts this year. Um, AJ Brown, same point, you know? So the, the idea is like, you're not just targeting, you know, anyone you're trying to target guys that you think could be, from a seasonal perspective, first or second round picks next year, you know, wide receivers, that can be superstars. Um, so T Higgins is one that I absolutely believe that about Jamar Chase is an, an incredible prospect, had a drops issues in the preseason. They might be incentivized to get him 
you know, five, six catches in week one right away. Maybe he makes an explosive play. Try to just put that to bed, you know, what happened in the preseason. Yeah. Um, some of these guys that have the types of profiles that people like like me, like you, and in the best ball streets we're talking about targeting in season long, I think are also very much worth considering in the early part of DFS. And a big point I would make again is once these guys break out, they continue it. It's not chasing guys that you don't believe in long-term. It's, it's chasing guys that you think are, are potential future superstars. And, and people do the opposite in DFS. This is, I get really excited for those first couple weeks of the season. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't break your way and that's, and that's just how it goes. But this, this week one is also fascinating because usually we get the, the salaries come out super early and some guy gets hurt, right? Last year, I believe Miles Sanders missed week one. Um, Cause I was lo- looking back today at, at the week one slate and Boston Scott was like 75% owned or whatever. Cause he was, he was minimum price. You know, we get things like that happen like every year and it really hasn't happened this year. You know, G- Gus Edwards is not on the main slate. Um, James Robinson was actually priced up already, you know, from the before, like, I guess maybe I'm just dumb. I, I didn't think James Robinson should be like 6,500, but he is, he is like, you know, uh, extremely expensive already. So we don't have other than these, these guys that we're talking about, the Elijah Moores, the rookies, like super, super underpriced guys. So it's going to be really fascinating to see kind of where the the market latches onto. If it is the, we, I, I do think uh, T Higgins is definitely like maybe the one guy in this whole conversation that is probably going to, going to get garner a, a fair bit of ownership. So I apologize to you in advance. You may not be able to just smash a hundred percent T Higgins <laughs> because I think, I think the market is, is on him, but I'm already like looking forward to that galaxy brain conversation on Sunday where it's like, look, we both like T Higgins more, but like, Jamar Chase because he dropped all those passes in preseason. Yeah, be like two percent. It's going to be like two percent like owned, and it's an awesome game. They play the Vikings. He's you know, and, and he's, he's probably the best wide receiver prospect on paper since Amari Cooper. I mean, that's that matters. Yeah, <laughs> he's a freak yeah. athlete. He didn't play last year, but he was amazing two years ago in college. Better than Jefferson in the same offense. He's playing with Burrow again. I mean. Yeah. He wasn't dropping passes from Burrow, really, was he? I, I can't actually remember, but I don't think Burrow was playing a lot in the preseason, right? So maybe, maybe yeah. when Burrow comes back, everything will be perfect. I mean, he he even came out with a quote. He addressed the drop thing um, and was basically just like, yeah, I think it maybe was a little bit of rust. He also was really interesting, if you really want to get your hand in the dirt. The NFL football is different than the college football. And and he's I, I think he was in his own head a little bit. And and just like thinking about you know, he dropped a couple balls and then you know he is probably a little rusty. And so it's just all these things started. And he's human. What is he, what is he 21, 20, you know, he's yeah. a young kid. Like where Jesus, I, I'm I think about shit, you know, way, way less important than what this kid is is thinking about every every single day. And so I just think those kinds of things, right? Jamar, maybe he does drop three more balls this week. I, I don't I don't know, but those kinds of things are the things I think we should be talking about as we head into week and, one. And I think, you know, that could very well happen. Again, we we're thinking about like range of outcomes and probabilities that could very well happen. I do think in a point that I wrote about uh, right after these drops and, and his ADP started to plummet was it has no, almost no effect on what we should expect from him in, in, in year one. First of all, drops basically don't matter. They're just more uh, a signifier that a guy's getting targets and, and Jamar Chase is going to get targets is sort of the point. Like, they want him to succeed. They went out and drafted him fifth overall. This is not – I mean, they took him over Panay Sewell. That's a huge discussion point. 
It's going to be a discussion point into the future. Like the teams that, that draft players that high are incentivized to, to get uh, a lot out of them right away. That's why you're talking about Kyle Pitts potentially garnering ownership right away. Now, at the same time, the flip side of this point, I would say, is when a guy like Pitts is garnering a lot of ownership, I'm probably going to be off a little bit. Like if there's an opportunity to then be off of that for maybe a more stable projection from a veteran that's priced similarly, I'm actually going to probably lean towards the veteran because these rookie blowups will happen in a couple of these early weeks. There will be some big weeks from some of these guys and these young guys, second-year players um, that we kind of didn't foresee, and I think they're going to be keys. At the same time, they're going to be inconsistent. Like I said, there's going to be the, the big story with rookies, especially, is that they gain snaps throughout their rookie season. Almost all of them. This happened with AJ Brown and DJ Moore and Juju Smith Schuster. There's a million guys, right? There's a few that play right away. But Pat Corain had a great article earlier this offseason over at NBC talking about when rookies smash, they still don't end up running as many routes um, as, a, as like a normal starting wide receiver. They're always a little bit lower and they're smashing because of efficiency. Uh, r- rookies are just sort of held back at least a little bit right away, right? And Chase probably will be no exception, even though he is an incredible prospect, especially because we're talking about rust and these things. Like they're going to give him some plays off. They're going to give him some snaps off. They're going to do some things situationally where they go with two wide receivers and they go with Higgins and Boyd. They got two guys that they really like that they can do in those sets. So I think uh, that's something you have to keep in mind with rookies as well. They're not going to be guys that are out there running a full set of routes. And so if they, if you do start jumping up to these really high ownership percentages, I might be willing to fade in, in those spots and be like, okay, well, this is actually one where this guy could, you know, have a goose egg, basically. I mean, that can happen with a lot of rookies early in the year as well. So it's a high, uh, a high variance play for any of these types of young players, even when you really like the player on any given week. And we already know pass catchers almost by default are going to be high variance. These ones are these are going to be a subset of them that are running fewer routes and we're relying more on efficiency. It's going to be very high variance. The point then is. Um, be very uh, ownership, you know, uh, what's the word? <laughs> conscious, whatever, you conscious. know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah conscious. Yeah. Be, be willing yeah. to, to play the ones that are low ownership and and then also be willing to get off of the ones that everyone are, are coalescing around. And, and you know, so let's use Kyle Pitts as, as an example. If he does pick up, and I do think he will, I think he's going to be really popular uh, in week one and, and maybe the first part of the season until his salary uh, you know, if, if he is as good, you know, maybe he does bust week one and then week when then week two is when we really get to smash Cal Pitts. But you you can play these guys, but you need to do it in a smart manner, right? Like if you want to play Kyle Pitts, maybe okay, so they they play the Eagles, right? It's Falcons Eagles. Maybe, maybe he's your bring back on a Jalen Hurts, Devonta Smith, another rookie, another potential mm-hmm. breakout type type of guy, or Jalen Rager, or another Rager. second, another yeah. second year, another a little bit more year. of a distressed, you know, lower owned player. Probably, I, I'd imagine Devonta Smith's probably going to be projecting higher than, than Jalen Rager yeah. ownership wise. Yeah, yeah, and R- Rager's also super fascinating because he's he's a little bit above min priced. Uh, again, I'm referencing DraftKings because that's where I. I, I, that's where my brain usually goes pricing wise, but same thing, you know, now, okay. Jalen Hurts is going to be like 3% and then Jalen Rager is going to be 1% or whatever. So if you stack those guys and you want to have a bring back with Kyle Pitts, you know, he's cheerful by all means, but if you're playing, you know, I don't know who the chalky stack is even. I actually love that. I'm going to make a lineup like that. I'm going to add Ridley to it. I'm already thinking like, well, you don't need Ryan, but you'd have Ridley and Pitts. You need Hurts with just probably one receiver. You got the rushing element. 
That's a really I've, fun little build. <laughs> I've been, been galbraining all these. I built like 400 teams today. You know, you're just like clicking around. You get so excited, right, for all, all these guys. And and uh, that game is super fascinating. But it's also like, okay, Pitts is going to be chalky. And then like, I don't know, people are going to pay up for Devontae or Tyreek or whatever. Well, then Ridley, Ridley creates your leverage off of Pitts and he's leverage. You know, so you just start galbraining yeah. all these all these crazy, crazy different ideas. So um the 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 team kind of kind of discussion leads me into the, uh, the the next thing i think that i was going to ask you about which is is there a, a like a breakout team or an offense or or i guess vice versa you know just like a general team take maybe there's a team you want to avoid that maybe you think people will be on e- either side of that spectrum that you're thinking about you know again off the top of the top of the head yeah i mean i think um there's a few i think washington's gonna be better i mean i understand that they've been sort of buzzy people have talked about them but i think they're gonna be a lot better than people realize i think Fitzpatrick is better than people realize he's so fun as this Fitzpatrick, or i mean sorry this fits magic persona i don't think people realize that that's actually a symbol that he's actually become a lot better as a quarterback a lot of the stuff he's done in these like late game situations smart aggressiveness i would i would call it um i think he like legitimately just got better with age. He's one of these quarterbacks that is like playing his best football, you know, right before his physical capacity is going to start declining at some point. And it might decline this year, but um, you know, he's 38 or something. He's very old, but uh, I, I really do think he's playing the best football. He was never like this uh, as uh, the player that he's been over the last maybe three or four years, um, even into like into his mid thirties, all, all those years that he was playing as sort of a journeyman Titans and Texans and, and wherever else he played bills a long time ago. Um, what he's done with the Bucks and and then in Miami and then what I think he might have the opportunity to do in Washington, very different, very different quarterback, frankly, in my opinion. Um, so I'm I'm excited about Washington as a team to target early. There's some teams that we know to be exciting that are also going under like undervalued or overlooked. Something uh, go back to a you know a podcast that I've, I've been doing this offseason, stealing bananas with Sean Siegel. Early on, we talked about these massive. Uh, trends, you know, the, the big changes we've seen as, as analytics have been um, seeping their way more and more into the NFL and what this will mean for fantasy. One of the things we sort of caught, got to and decided was that in a big picture sense, we think the gap between sort of the haves and the have nots is only going to widen. You have teams like the Bills and the Chiefs that were so willing to throw on early downs um last year that early down pass rate really important stat for fantasy value for the value of the offense both because passing is like better than running for fantasy you get you know the <laughs> you get the receptions you get you get bigger plays you get more touchdowns you get more scoring even incompletion stop the clock we don't just want one guy carrying the ball and then the clock running that's horrible but both because of that but also because it's more efficient it is like the you know the analytically sound thing is we should be passing more and so it makes offenses better when they're making those smart decisions. Um, and so when I when we talk about that, we talk about the aggressiveness on fourth downs, talk about all those types of things. The teams that are doing that are obviously worth targeting. The teams that are not are, are going to be huge stayaways and scary offenses, offenses we want to avoid. It's a big reason teams are, are, are people are on Dallas and, and Cincinnati and, and all these teams because when Burrow and Dak were healthy last year, they were showing those tendencies. But the team that I think you know embodies this more than any other is the Bills. Like I just want to, I want to attack the. It's almost like I feel like going a little undervalued. I've talked about Stephon Diggs could be the wide receiver one this year, uh, potentially should be. He led the NFL in receptions and yards last year. The volume was massive, and he was actually a lot better in the second half of the year than the first half of the year. And, and we we know that long term trends when a receiver changes teams, they're kind of sometimes a little bit slow to to, to latch on with the new team. 
I think he could have a better year this year than he did last year in receptions and yards where he led the league. And then the only issue is touchdowns. He, he finished with eight TDs. He finishes the wide receiver three in, in most scoring because Adams and Hill both had like averaged over a touchdown per game. But I think Diggs can definitely get his TDs up as well. He had a couple in the postseason. He had more in the second half of the year. You know, people will argue with split stats. I think it's relevant here because Diggs was on a new offense and sort of assimilating to a new role. They get rid of John Brown. They have issues with Gabe Davis. His biggest target competition is two 30-plus-year-olds, Emmanuel Sanders and, and Cole Beasley. Um, Beasley was pretty good last year too, but they're so worried about him. We keep hearing about Emmanuel Sanders all offseason. Emmanuel Sanders' last 1,000-yard season, or I think it's 900-yard season, was 2016. Like, this guy has not been consistently productive. Diggs is going to eat this year, and this is a team that's going to throw on every down. So um, the Bills are the type of offense I want to be targeting because they do things intelligently. They do things the analytically focused way. And you talk about like ranges of outcomes. We know they're going to be productive in that sense, right? Like games, game script be damned, you know, pa- non-obvious passing situations be damned. They're going to throw the ball no matter yeah. what. And that's, that's something that's like raises the floor and raises the ceiling. So those types of teams, the chiefs, obviously, I mean, we all know that, but um, it's not like the bills are going underrated. I just think the extent to which that gap is going to be there for those really forward thinking teams isn't being emphasized enough. And, and I really want to make a point to target those teams. I, I mean, I could not possibly agree more. It was I knew who you were saying right away when you were like these, you know, anal, analytically focused, kind of yeah. forward thinking, innovative teams, and that's I, that's exactly how I feel about about the Bills. There was pa- part of this offseason, you know, Stephon Diggs is a is a first second round pick in, in in season long leagues. You know, Josh Allen is is a fifth round pick. Whatever, they're not going like completely overlooked. However, also the rest of the offense is like free. And like again, yeah. using like our our managed leagues uh, and best ball like brain to think about it that way, right? And I know I get it. Cole Beasley is is, is kind of a mess uh, on Twitter or whatever, and, and with his his personal life. And Emmanuel Sanders has flaws, right? Maybe they don't love Gabe Davis. They have a running back split. I I get all that, but we have a situation, in my opinion, where what you said was perfect. The, the kind of the cream of the crop is going to continue to be more of the cream of the crop. And the, you know, the, the boomers, the old football guys, they're going to get left in the dust even more. And I, I feel more confident about the bills than maybe any team in the NFL doing the things that I need them to do for DFS, particularly as it relates to the passing game. And I think there was some, a little bit of narrative kind of early in the season, like, they're going to regress type of thing. And, and I feel like view that's the wrong way to view it. I think the view is, and, and I, again, I could, maybe they do regress. Maybe they're not the bills of last year, but how I think we can win with this team is look at what they did in the preseason. They did not run yeah. ever like, and I know it's the preseason, whatever, like I get, we can like write some of that off, but that's, the potential that we're talking, we're talking about a team that m- might run twice in a half. <laughs> like yeah. they literally might throw like it, it up. They're winning, losing. Yeah. doesn't matter. They might throw 55. Times. And they understand that Josh Allen can run once they drop back. Like they've built this offense around that. <laughs> they're, they're not dumb. It's, it's, uh, you know, people are like, Oh, like, where's the balance? Well, when you have Josh Allen, that he is your balance. Like he's gonna, you're, you're saying they might drop back. Uh, they, they might hand off. Uh, twice all half. They might drop back every snap except two. Basically, they'll still end up with twelve rush attempts because he'll, you know, maybe not twelve, eight, because he'll he'll scramble six times. I mean, and that's that's why you want to be on Josh Allen. But yeah, no, that is that is a 
a great point. I mean, I, I think the fact that they're so free is ridiculous too. The, the Bills running backs that can't score touchdowns because they only scored seven TDs last year, the, the main two. Um, the team scored 56. I, I would lay a lot of uh, a strong number that, that they will score more than seven TDs this year if uh, the Bills score 56 touchdowns again. I just, I don't think that that's really likely at all. Their backup tight ends, uh, Tyler Croft was there, Lee Smith combined for five TDs, Isaiah McKenzie com- uh, had five touchdowns, Allen rushed for eight or something again. They had all these really like kind of creative plays down in the red zone. I think we're going to see a little bit more straightforward stuff from them. They've put all that stuff on tape now. Those, those running backs are going to get some opportunities to score too, and that might be a, a way to leverage this offense too, if, especially if you're not playing a Bills pass catcher in like basically any lineup. You, you probably you, like, we know that they're going to be aggressive, right? And and so you probably want to consider throwing Zach Moss into a lineup and be like, okay, well maybe he gets two TDs, you know? And no yeah. one thinks that can happen. They think the Bills yeah. running backs have no upside whatsoever. So um, there's a lot of ways to play offenses like this, but just the fact that we can kind of identify the teams that have so much sort of upside, so much appeal, and there are several teams. The other thing I would say is like we want to look at teams that could be the next version of that. One team that I'm really interested in, really excited about sort of a we'll see, but the Panthers look pretty pretty sexy. Last year, we were excited about Matt Rule, Joe Brady coming in from, from LSU, where Joe Burrow and all the, you know, all, uh, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, they were amazing, right, at LSU two years ago. We were all talking about the Panthers, new coaching staff, could be this young, innovative, forward-thinking staff coming from the college ranks. They had Teddy Bridgewater last, way, t- last year. Teddy Bridgewater limits some of those things. There's a lot of opportunities that were missed last year, down the field especially. I don't think Sam Darnold is necessarily amazing. I don't even know for sure if he's better than Teddy Bridgewater. I do think um, he basically can't be worse for them trying to implement what they wanted to do than what Bridgewater was last year because Bridgewater was taking so many just underneath checkdowns, down 14 points in the fourth quarter, throwing to Mike Davis 100 times. We're, we're not going to – he Darnold basically can't be worse than that in terms of, of, of trying to execute those things. And then just the fact that it's year two for these coaches. They might have some more stuff – we saw some of it in the preseason. Last year, I think they really badly misused DJ Moore as basically just a pure deep threat, and he was still very efficient. He had a much lower dot. His first two seasons was very productive in the shallow area. In the preseason, we saw them treat him more as sort of the, the go-to target on a third and five, on a fourth and one. Like They had him run quick outs. He, he got easy completions, easy catches. Um, and what they have now is they, they've let Curtis Samuel go, and they have a big slot in Terrace Marshall, who you noted. They're going to use him more vertically. That might allow them to use DJ more and more in the shallower part of the field. It gives them more more ability to, to mix up different route uh, depths and things. Robbie Anderson, another really good receiver, obviously. You get Christian McCaffrey back. There's just a lot of elements here where if Darnold is just like, I just hope he's like half decent. If he's half decent, this offense could be really explosive. If they're also willing to embrace some of these you know, forward-thinking ideas. I also hope he's half decent because I've drafted far too much Sam Darnold uh in in best ball and uh every time i post the team on twitter i love to do it i I don't post the like actually really good teams i post the teams on twitter that people i know people are gonna hate right like post the post the tua sam darnold at quarterback with crappy running backs and everybody just gets triggered right but i i was so like Part of me is a little upset with you because I wanted to bring up the Panthers. That's my, <laughs> that's my, that's my pet team this year. That that is the team. Like if the Panther, the Panthers and the 49ers, but everybody likes the 49ers. That's not really anything crazy. If the Panthers suck and Sam Darnold is is significantly worse than Teddy Bridgewater, like I'm just gonna hold my L and and it it is what it is. But I I see them. You said it again perfectly as 
the next potential bills. Everybody has written off Sam Darnold. Everybody was out on Josh Allen, right? Not a good passer, you know, can't throw accurately, has this cannon for an arm, but he's just sort of an athlete back there playing quarterback. Next thing we know, he gets a brilliant offensive coordinator in Brian Dayball who comes in and is installing an innovative offense, and they get him weapons. They get him Stephon Diggs. And, uh, John Brown may actually have not been a very good weapon. We, we thought he was a decent pickup. And I, I think maybe actually the offense just made John Brown into a, a relevant weapon, right? Cole Beasley is fine, but like I think – uh, the Panthers are like the absolute perfect team. If you want to do the whole, who is this year's bills? It is absolutely the Panthers. The other little tiny little thing, again, not trying to draw everything from the preseason. They did what the bills did in the one game that they trotted out their starters for the whole, for the whole half, their last preseason game. I believe they threw it 26 times in the first half. They basically now CMC did not play. Chuba was playing running back, but they basically did what the bills do. They just, it was all passing they, they use DJ again, like you said, they use DJ Moore kind of in the short game. They used the short passing game to be their running game. And Darnold was really good because shocker, even if he's not very good, when you have DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and Terrace Marshall and a brilliant offensive coordinator and you're, you know, you're, you're playing efficient football, even Sam Darnold can be good. And so that's an offense. I couldn't possibly agree more. Super quick spoiler alert. I have Sam Darnold and DJ Moore tagged on lineup. I'm sure. I'm sure that we will be discussing them also on Sunday. But I'm I'm very excited. They also played the Jets, and it's just like the only thing I'm worried about for Week One is that that game picks up a lot of steam because it's so it it, it is kind of obvious as like a cheap, a, you know, play. Well, everybody's going to play CMC, so that's where it's kind of interesting. Like if you fade CMC and you play Darnold to DJ Moore with Elijah Moore or something as a bring back, I think there's a lot of leverage opportunities in in something like that. Also because I think the Jets' defense is going to be an absolute abomination. Um, so that that's a fun for, fun week. Yeah, and they might not – I mean, CMC, we, we might not see – a full workload in week one necessarily didn't didn't play in the preseason right i don't think he had a touch or, or a snap yeah. in the preseason so we could see a little bit of chuba i mean they, they they are thin at running back as well they they let everyone go and then they claimed royce freeman um but yeah i mean i, I don't think that would be a crazy leverage point um for all we know you know cmc could lose a little bit of value this year compared to last year but i mean even last year he played three games he averaged over 30 points per game like and 2019 was obviously just world wrecking so he's going to be a discussion every week i think again whether or not you just create you know jam in uh cmc or or uh try to find ways to, to sort of build leverage off of cmc so cmc is the next point i wanted i wanted to bring up and not even just him but you know for a long time We've had like the, you know, team drama men is what, uh, you know, people would say with, uh, you know, it used to be like Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. And now it's obviously CMC. I think people are going to do that now. We have Dalvin, right? We have um, Alvin Kamara in a, just the kind of the nut scenario now. Obviously, I'm sure you saw they let Latavius Murray yep. go go today. And so we have these kind of elite running backs now where I think the field is going to be really, really heavy on those guys. And I'm not saying that that's, that that's wrong. But one thing that I've kind of been doing, again, mainly in like uh, from a best ball portfolio perspective or managed leagues, the, the, the logic being 
kind of like you talked about with like the Bills and we talked about with the Panthers and these teams starting to innovate and play football a little bit differently than, than, you know, the last five years, like even the last two years with passing. But I think that also possibly relates to the running back position. And I'm not certain that even the CMC types are going to be the 100% snap players moving forward. And I'm certainly going to be wrong about certain guys with that, right? Joe Mixon might play every snap. Dalvin might play every snap, whatever. But I would rather be out ahead of a trend like that where te- where maybe Chuba is playing 20% of the snaps. And, like, I love CMC, and he's still going to be very good, and he's still, you know, your number one overall pick in your, in your season-long league, and you're not going to be upset with having him on your team. But from a DFS perspective, if I'm paying, paying 10K for a guy – I do kind of need, you know, the 40, 50 point ceilings. I don't, you know, 28, 30 points isn't even necessarily getting it done for me with, with CMC. So do you have any thoughts on something like that? You know, it doesn't even have to be that trend. Maybe you have a different view on that, but I'm kind of thinking about those kinds of things where like, you know, Diggs, like you said, Diggs is never leaving the field. And I'm, and we think, you know, this team is going to pass a ton that, that gives Diggs the ceiling. That's just incredible, right? Devonte Adams, Tyree kill, Justin Jefferson, the list goes on and on with these wide receivers. I think there could be a trend where the running backs, you know, at the high end, it's still what everybody's latching onto because that's what we've done for so long, but we might see a little bit of a flippening in terms of fantasy value. Yeah. It's interesting. That point you made about um, maybe not quite as massive running back workloads. It, it does seem kind of cyclical at times. Um, I remember back in like 2015, it seemed like we were headed that way. And we have seen the the really high carry counts continue to sort of fall. Like the number of, of backs who hit X amount of carries every year um, is starting to fall. What happened over the last several years is that we got this rise of the Uber back, right, as it's been called or, or whatever you want to call it. But um, these backs that, that can add so much receiving value. With, with CMC, like to your point, he could play 80% of the snaps, but he can still catch 10 balls and just bury yeah. it. You know, yeah. I mean, so – the receiving is the is the the killer. I have no issue fading Derrick Henry. I have no issue even fading guys with some receiving role, um, like a Zeke Elliott or something. But the ones that are always going to be really hard for me are, are McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara could absolutely bury you early in the season. We could see one of these you know one of these games like the six touchdown one he had late last year. He's always had a big goal line role. They don't have a lot of other pieces right now in place, frankly. Um, they just let Latavius Murray go. Tony Jones has looked good. Tony Jones, not a, not a particularly great prospect profile or, or background. Could be a solid player. It's guys like him can, you know, can certainly play, play roles, and sometimes guys just don't get opportunities at lower levels, whatever. Uh, I'm not writing him off necessarily, but I do think the fact that they moved on from Latavius suggests that we might actually see the most um, – the, the least amount of a committee that we've seen in, in Kamara's career. They've always used multiple backs – we might see the most sort of lead back type scenario that we've seen in New Orleans under Sean Payton, yeah. basically ever, you know, going all the way back to like Deuce McAllister, you know, like very, very <laughs> early. Um, they've been using committees with all sorts of guys ever since then. Kamara could be a guy who just suddenly is getting, um, you know, 250 carries, which he's never even really approached. And then also catching 80 to hundred balls. Now we also lost Drew Brees. There's other issues there. So, um, there, there are ways this could play differently, but I think there's a few key guys at the top. You know, Austin Eckler is another one that I'm really struggling with lately because I was kind of a little down on him. Not sure how much they'd use him on the on the early downs, but Los Angeles is now really thin in their passing game from sort of a 
low-key perspective, I guess, but I thought Tyron Johnson was their best shot at a wide receiver three that could actually earn significant targets. Jalen Guyton had one of the lowest targets per route run of any wide receiver in the NFL last year, just sort of a, a, a route runner. Josh Palmer could be the answer to this question, but a lot of people uh, that a lot of people like, but I am not necessarily as high on him, not a great producer in college, tough to expect him to come in in year one and be great. Mike Williams, very consistently average at, at drawing targets, basically. Not a good separator. So if something were to happen to Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler's going to, like, honestly, and then they don't have Hunter Henry anymore. You have you have Jared Cook and Donald Parham. Austin Eckler may not get as much of a rushing workload as people want, but he honestly might get 150 targets. Like, he might break running back target volume records. It, it could be insane uh, for him. So there's some of those guys like that that I, I'm going to be wary of, of fading, certainly. Um but I do, I do think your point is is interesting and one worth worth considering. That, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it could happen to a lot of guys. It could happen to like Jonathan Taylor, one of my favorite dudes, right? Like where mm-hmm. he like gets fewer carries per game than he was getting late last year because Marlon Max back and Hines is there. They just want to keep guys healthy. Who knows? You know, you have 17 weeks. That's a big reason that could start to happen more. Teams planning for the playoffs, they might not want to ride these guys quite as hard for, you know, especially if they're counting into the playoffs for 20, 21 games. It could yeah. be. You know, yeah, I think it's just something like kind of to monitor. Like, would anyone be surprised? I, I Here's maybe a hot take. I would be more surprised if the Saints came out and did not like really, really feature Alvin Kamara, which is not something I would have said even just a few weeks ago. Right. Than, than the Panthers came out and had CMC in his old, in old, you know, 98% of snaps, CMC getting, you know, a million targets. CMC was the cheat code because he's a wide receiver two and, an, and a running back one, all in one person that yeah. you get to play. You know, you get to play for 9,500 or 10K on, on DraftKings. I wouldn't be that surprised if Chuba came in and played a role, right? And again, CMC is going to be tremendously valuable. And, uh, and you're going to look at my cash game lineup uh, on week one on Sunday, and it's going to have, spoiler alert, it's going to have CMC. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be a popular build. Too. You, you mentioned it. He's going to, him and Kamara, and like the fact that these receivers are so cheap, like you could just jam yeah. in. It's certainly for week one, you can jam them in. Sorry, I cut off your point about CMC. No, no, but I just am trying to think about those kind of things more early. Like, you know, we're going to get to week 10 or week 12 and we're kind of going to know what everybody's role is, right? There's not yep. a lot of uncertainty around. Like we've talked about Jamar Chase. We talked about Elijah Moore. We're going to basically know what they yep. are at that point. They may continue to get better, but we basically know what, what they are right now is, is just peak uncertainty. And so I want to kind of think about these things that maybe the field isn't isn't necessarily yeah. thinking about and just running back as a whole is kind of one that I think that well, I think is is interesting. And I think it's a really smart week one idea because like we're saying there's all these receivers that are priced down um so many opportunities to to save money that it's super easy to just be like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna take the running backs that are super good. Um but there could be builds like we were just talking about Diggs and all that. What if Diggs is the one that has a 45 point game in week one and, right. and McCaffrey has 25, you know? What if it's Adams? What if it's, you know, whoever? Um, so Tyree Kill, obviously, <laughs> needs, no. needs to be mentioned anytime we're talking about wide receiver ceiling. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting ways to play it from a tournament tournament perspective to get off sort of those, you know, those uh, redraft focus sort of thoughts that, like, CMC has to be the one-on-one and, and you know, Cook and Kamara are right there in the top three. And, um, 
But yeah, I just want to make that point. The running back receiving thing. The way I think about that, just one more thing I want to say is like everyone knows now how valuable rushing is for quarterbacks. There are still non-rushing quarterbacks that can have ceiling games, but it's a lot harder to get there. Receiving for running backs is like almost a one-for-one perfect analogy for that. Like a guy who can catch a ton of receiving volume, who can have a ton of receiving expected points, you know, in any of those types of models that you're going to look at. That guy is just like a running quarterback. His floor is higher. His ceiling is higher. And someone who does not at the running back position is like an immobile quarterback where he's going to have to hit for multiple touchdowns. He's going to have to hit for a lot of efficiency. And, and I think people, and, and me too, coming into kind of week one and looking at the salaries, right? Where we've been doing all these drafts all summer and everything. And we're, excited about about certain players and like you said you know cmc is, is your 101 so you, you you put a certain like level of priority basically to where you've been drafting guys you know in in seasonal leagues or guys you were higher on than the market or whatever but i think that like that there, there's something to be said for kind of resetting your brain to to, to all of that you know what i mean like Yep. I, I, CMC is my 101. It's not even particularly close, yeah. you know, with 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 the rest of the field. But that doesn't mean when we come into week one that we can't have these conversations around like, OK, so one guy I, I, I tagged again to sorry to the to, to, to our bosses who I'm giving away premium premium content. But like uh, uh, Raheem Mostert is a, is a cheaper running back that I actually have tagged um, in lineup HQ. And do I actually know what his workload is going to look like in week one? I have no, I have, I have no idea, but it's the same premise of, you know, kind of resetting my brain and thinking about, okay, you know, pivoting into another offense that I'm really bullish on with the 49ers. If they really are as good, you know, even if Jimmy G is playing most of the snaps, if they really are as good as I think that they're going to be on offense, I want to get out in front of that and take my shot, you know, week one on this guy. No, he's not a rookie or a second year type of breakout, but he's explosive. We're just talking about if you don't catch a lot of passes or, and we don't really know the receiving rules, you got to be efficient and Raheem Mostert can score from anywhere on the field. So I actually really like that as a take. I would, I would like to play him more early in the season when, when both are healthy than Trey Sermon. Yeah. I'm taking Sermon higher in season long. I think Sermon's going to be pretty good in this offense as well, but Mostert's the guy in DFS that can, come out of a maybe a suboptimal role. You know, I actually think he'll probably catch more passes than Sermon, but both of them are going to be in, in terms of suboptimal, in terms of receiving, they're going to be a little bit more of running um, yeah. heavy profiles. So someone who could come out of like the mid pricing tiers with a sort of a suboptimal pass to run sort of touch mix. Um, most of it would be totally one of the guys that could do that because he has the explosiveness. He has the, the potential for just splash efficiency. There's not a lot of backs that – I mean, there's all, there's literally none. Uh, Rudy Mostert has, like, the <laughs> fastest recorded times in, in next-gen stats uh, the last couple of years, like the few fastest. This dude is, like, probably more explosive than anyone in the NFL. So I actually really he love had, that. He had the two – the top two fastest time, sprint times last year on on next, the same guy had the had had the top two and I believe yeah he was he was the top fastest two years ago too it was really funny that you you bring that up I listened to the sharp from sharp football analysis they have a podcast called sharp sharp angles anyway I'll, I'll, I don't know exactly the 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 podcast title but they were doing like some crazy random like fun player props that that, that they're betting and one of the guys apparently this is available uh, which is a sick sign of our society but you can bet on who's going to have the fastest time like the fastest sprint speed 
in a in a game this year. And then one guy was like, I'm betting Raheem Mostert because he does it every every single year. He's always yeah. the fastest. And honestly, this year is the best year for him to do it. But uh, you know, it's like being being serious for one second, he is the kind of guy that's like this perfect kind of you know, commodulation of all these things where we head into week one with like, how is that backfield going to split up? You know, uh, I was drafting him in round eight or round nine of season long leagues. Why am I paying? You know, I think he's 5,800 on drafting. Like, Why am I paying that? I'm just going to play CMC, whatever. And then it also gives you this kind of unique build where, okay, now maybe I can get digs instead of playing, you know, Marquez Callaway, like everybody's going to play Marquez Callaway. And so just little, little nuances like that are some of the, the big things. Right. It's not even, it's not even that McCaffrey has to bust. It's that your two V two has to be better. And if, if, if Marcus Callaway doesn't have a great game and Diggs has, you know, basically the same score as McCaffrey, which he can do obviously. And then Mostert has 25 points or 30 points, which he can, if he, if he breaks off, especially if he breaks off a 70 yard TD run, right. That's, that's huge. Um, you're gonna you're gonna smash those CMC lineups, obviously. Yeah. You, you need a lot of the other cheap receivers to bust too. There's a lot of cheap receivers, so those probably, might be tough to to leapfrog because some of those those cheap receivers are gonna hit. My my brain is gonna hurt on Sunday morning because I'm gonna be going through all these these gal brain different thoughts, right? Like you know the the same thing a lot of people will talk about. Like I want to flip the bill. That was like the first thing that jumped out to me because I'm looking at like. All my favorite players are free. They're all wide receiver. You know, they're all like the rookie, second year, cheap, young wide receivers. And they're all absolutely free in DFS. And I'm like, well, how do I not build that? And you're like, well, everyone else is also thinking that, which in turn makes CMC a million percent owned, Dalvin a million percent owned, Kamara a million percent owned, but then in turn makes Diggs and Tyreek. And like pick an elite wide receiver. They're low owned. Like it's it, it like that's it, you know, coming into this week one. And so um, I think that'll be. Do you a fun think thing it will be uh, like a, a a thin build flip um, if you were to do like one of McCaffrey or Kamara and one of like a Diggs Adams? Do you think that will be pretty popular too? No, I don't. I really okay. don't. I think I think everyone is going to spend for two or three. So the cash game build, I started to play around with it a little bit. You can so easily play all three of the elite running backs cmc dalvin and and kamara because there's you know you can kind of do whatever you want at quarterback there's some cheap guys right like i mentioned darnold zach wilson is cheap mac jones is like like even cheaper than than not that you want to play him but you know what i mean we have these we have these options um kyle pitts is 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 cheap i think he's probably going to be the cash game tight end you know obviously you can punt off defense and you could literally play three min price wide receivers if you really wanted to like you could play Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, I guess, and Marquez Callaway's not the stone men. But like you could play these guys who, again, we've been drafting in season long leagues, you know, in the eighth round or whatever for, for months with, with the top three players in fantasy, you know. So the cash game team really starts to, to build itself and it's always with those cheap guys. And then people are going to pivot to other cheap wide receivers. But like Diggs was the guy that jumped out to me. You know, we talked about the Bills thing and it was like they play the Steelers which is not a a perceived very good matchup Josh Allen's a little bit expensive Diggs is a little bit expensive and you can't get him with with some of those some of those elite elite running backs so you know whether it's Diggs or maybe you prefer Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams is is it a fascinating one too if you play Kamara or maybe you play Kamara and Callaway and you play Devontae Adams over Dalvin or 
or CMC. You know, there's just so many fun builds. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm starting to, I'm going to go build teams after we're done here. Cause I'm getting excited about all these different things that, uh, that you can do for week one, but it just goes to show you, like, it's actually, it's not going to be hard to get leverage in, in not, not even just week one, week two, week three, it's going to be so easy to kind of get leverage. And so just going in and just jamming the chalk, right. Just playing Marquez Callaway, Kamara, CMC, Dalvin. It's like, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're wasting your time playing DFS because you can make just absolutely incredible lineups early in the season with that are like super, super high leverage. Yeah. And there's going to be some, you know, maybe we should talk about some of the week one games. I'm looking at them now. It's kind of like first yeah. look, but there's some fun, uh, some fun stacks. We talked a little bit about the Eagles Falcons, which probably wouldn't even be in my top five here. We talked a little bit about like the Jets Panthers. You yeah. talked about the Packers Saints. The Browns are another team that we could see being more forward thinking than people think in terms of the pass rate. They were very pass heavy late last year. I don't think that's been reflected in ADPs in redraft leagues all summer. Uh, OBJ, uh, Jarvis Landry have both been pretty easy values. Landry, especially mm-hmm. for a guy who's had the, the target rate that he's had his entire career. Um, it's just sort of a silly value. I don't even end up taking them that often because I'm so heavily targeting the young breakout receivers in my builds, yeah. especially in those rounds. But like for the people that like to take, you know, guys that project for targets, when I see them take, you know, these other whoever, you know, Russell Gage ahead of Jarvis Landry, I'm like, what? <laughs> you don't understand anything. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm offending somebody right now. I apologize for that. But, like, that is insane. Uh, but the, the Browns are a team whose range of outcomes, we, we think of them as a run-heavy team. The range of outcomes certainly includes more pass heaviness. They, they it did that into the postseason. Baker was better. Yeah. Things were good. They have OBJ back. He reportedly looks amazing. People are saying that um, – you know, even though he's coming back from from the the ACL, that he's he's looking fantastic in practice and looking like his old self. All of these things, most explosive he's he's looked and and, and things um, since he's been in Cleveland. I think was one of the headlines. So you have all that going in the Browns Chiefs game. I mean, that's really interesting. You could play the Browns to be more pass heavy and and Tyreek and all that. That could be a really interesting one. Um, Chargers Washington could be a really interesting one. And just talked about Washington. If um, you know if Herbert comes out hot. Uh, I mean, Cardinals Titans even could be a really interesting oh, yeah. one, but the the Vikings Bengals too. I mean, I think we don't know how Burrow's going to look right away. We talked about a couple of Bengals receivers. Obviously, you have Justin Jefferson on the other side. It's in Cincinnati. If Cincinnati can get out to a little bit of a hot start and sort of force Minnesota to throw more, that's not a team that I anticipate being a lot more forward thinking. I think they're going to continue to be <laughs> sort of old school. Um, but if they're forced into passing a little bit, I think. That could be a fun one as well. I mean, there's a lot of games here that are that are pretty damn yep. interesting. And you know, they it, some of these will pick up steam, right? Of course, that's just how that's just the nature of the beast. But they can't all pick up steam, right? And and I, I foresee, you know, the the Chiefs one is fascinating to me because Tyreek is is a guy just I'm, I'm super bullish on this year. I, I don't think he's getting the the kind of hype he de, he deserves given the lack of competition for, for targets, right. He's been kind of a, just strictly an efficiency player for such a long period of time. And, 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 you know, he's a big, big play guy. Um, but now he's, you know, say whatever you want about McCall Hardman. I mean, he, he's not really competing with anyone besides Travis Kelsey for targets. Like we could see more, you know, kind of the Kamara, the Kamara thing. It's like Tyreek is the wide receiver version of Kamara to me that he's always been an efficiency player, big play and high value touch player and now we have the opportunity for volume that we've never we've never seen before so it's another thing i would like to get out in front of of tyree kill and so on the flip side like you said if the browns 
the, the Browns are also not stupid. They have to keep pace with this team. You know what I mean? And so Odell becomes this fascinating tournament play. That's the same thing. I mean, what's Odell going to be 1% or something like nobody's playing Odell. And so even if you're not stacking the game, you get, you know, Odell and, and Tyreek kind of, you know, secondary correlations. There's, there's so many of those The the Cardinals one also jumps out because same thing, uh, the, the Cardinals and the Vikings game are both interesting because the Titans are, you know, not the most forward thinking um, they're an efficient offense, but they're not the most forward-thinking offense, obviously, pounding Derrick Henry constantly. But you have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. as, Or right. if you want to play Derrick Henry, I guess, you know, that's not my thing. But if you want to play Derrick Henry, you know, you have these incredible wide receivers. And the Cardinals might have the worst secondary, you know, at least the worst corners in the NFL. I mean, Malcolm Butler just retired. Malcolm Butler was supposed to be kind of a stopgap at corner for them. And and he's he's you know not going to be on on the team. They're, they're so you're telling me I can play 100% AJ Brown week one because I, I will I, do that. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm not recommending 100% T Higgins because I think he's going to be popular. But AJ Brown is going to be low owned going against like XFL corners. Low owned? You're adding yeah. this? I, I didn't even care if he was 50% owned. You're adding low owned to this? Oh man! And facing one of the fastest paced offenses. That's, I mean, that game is is wildly interesting to me and whether you want to play Tannehill or Kyler or you just play AJ Brown maybe you you know same thing there's there's tons of options to play you know do you want to stack a different game and play AJ Brown with Rondale you know they're like they're, there's tons of, of different options that game and the Vikings game were the most interesting ones to me because projections like we talked about at the top are going to factor in those those pass rates and, and run rates for these teams and so guys like AJ Brown guys like Justin Jefferson are not going to get the the kind of projection and ownership that their ceiling dictates that it does because they don't have good defenses either. And they're playing other good offenses. So like if the game shoots out, who really gives a shit about, you know, your projected run rate or pass rate for those teams? Because if it's 45 to 37 at the end of the game, like you want AJ Brown, you know, you want yeah. T Higgins, you want Justin Jefferson. And like people are really worried about Julio. He was banged up a little bit in August. He's on a new team. Julio Jones is still obviously very, very good. Another stat I will, I will throw out though is targets per out run actually dipped last year. I keep hearing that he didn't fall off at all. His, his uh, sort of overall efficiency didn't His profile definitely changed. His yards per target was as high as it's either ever been, or maybe it was the second highest season in his career. I, I Maybe that's the one where it was the highest since his second year when he was a little bit more of a part-time player. I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but he he was very efficient on a yards per target basis. Yeah, no, career high. Career high yards per target last year. That's not something we should expect at age 32 after he just pulled that off at age 31. That is a little bit of an outlier. What happened on the flip side was that his targets per out run fell about four percentage points, which is a significant amount in that stat. Um, First year had been below 26% since I think his second season. He was down at like 22%. Still very good number, but he used to be a very, very target-dominant player. He actually did slip a little bit in that stat last year. A.J. Brown took a step forward, was up in like 24%. He was already higher than Julio last year. Obviously, different offenses and everything. Yeah. But A.J. Brown, and that's per route. So that includes the fact that Julio Jones you know, missed time. We're, we're going to just look at his routes. Um, that's the kind of stat that should show that he was still good, even though he was a little banged up or whatever. Um, he, he did see a little bit of slippage. Now he's on a new offense. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be good. I think you can double stack if you want to, all of those things. But when you talk about a team in week one facing, you know, there's no corners to cover a number one receiver or anything like that, I, I would feel a lot more confident 
just going with AJ Brown and not messing around. I think AJ Brown is a, a clear, there's more of a gap there, I think, in terms of expected production in my mind than I think the market market has it as. And and a guy like Julio, even if he's not demanding the targets, he can open things up for right. like it, 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 it say whatever you want about Corey Davis. I like Corey Davis fine. He he had a good year last year. He doesn't command the attention of a defense like Julio, like Julio Jones does. And so if kind of combining those factors, you think about Julio Jones is still, you know, uh, even if he's a, a somewhat of a shell of, of Julio Jones, he he's still commanding that attention from a defense on one side that Corey Davis is just not commanding. And so then yeah. when you have AJ Brown earning more and more and more targets. And I want to be clear, attention. he's not a, he's not a shell. And I don't think you think he's a shell either. But, no, correct. Because he was really efficient last year. I mean, yeah. he was still playing very well, but I think especially the he's going to command the defensive attention, like you said, but you add in that he wasn't quite drawing targets at the same rate and he's on a new offense and he hasn't played with this quarterback yet. Yeah. AJ Brown has, there's, there's just sort of like little things where I'm like, AJ Brown's going to be the clear one here. And it would not surprise me if he was the top scoring wide receiver in week one at all in yeah. that matchup. And and it's just, it's just an example, right? Even remove the names. These kinds of things are the things like this whole entire podcast was about thinking about these things as we head into week one, because we're going to know really soon, right? Like maybe AJ Brown is, you know, this guy we're drafting at the top of the first round in season long leagues next year, because he's just so dominant and everything comes together for him. The defense is bad, whatever, but we don't know any of this yet, right? We've, we've mentioned a million examples of all this, right? We don't know. We think, you know, Corey Davis drew, you know, targets on 99% of his uh, routes in, in the preseason, like, we think maybe that's something that's an indicator, but we, we haven't seen Elijah Moore. Maybe actually Elijah yeah. Moore is the for all of camp. We thought Elijah Moore is the best player. The Jets are telling us he's the best player on the offense already, but we didn't get to see him in preseason. Right? It's just and these are just examples of things that you know on Sunday, you and I will will be talking about in more detail as it relates to to the slate. But I think it's a good thing to kind of get yeah get and, the wheels and- turning. And the bigger thing, like to the point about AJ Brown could be the number, you know, the overall wide receiver one is just the reminder that every week in the NFL, is the, it, it, there's a lot of variance in, in the NFL week to week based on like sort of our season long expectations. And so that's a really important thing to consider going into week one. I think it's going to be even more important to consider in week two and week three. Those are some of my favorite ones, because that's the oh, yeah. very first time where, you, where people get confident in trends, especially after two weeks, three weeks, they see a trend. I, there's so many trends that we see for a couple of weeks to start a season that are just like very clearly noise and then they fall apart, but people are all over them. We're going to have opportunities going into week three, week four, and those ranges before things really start to kind of stabilize over a, a month and over a month and a half and like a six week span where we're going to be able to leverage one week samples and two week samples, which are going to be great. But that's a good thing to, to keep in mind going into week one as well. Go back and look at the top weekly scores at different positions, you know, go to, you know, some, some data site and, and pick out a week and see who the top receiver was that week or top running back. It's probably going to surprise you. Some weeks it's the huge name. Some weeks it's, you know, it was some random players at times. Right. And that can happen in week one right away. I mean, it very well can. So um, especially when you can do whatever you want with pricing, you're talking about a lot of these types of plays like the AJ Brown thing being low, low owned potentially. I mean, I don't want to get too hung up on him. I don't want people to all want to go play him because he's just an example of the broader thing. There are a yeah. lot. If he's if he's even, you know, fifteen percent, I probably won't play him because there's going to be so many opportunities to be at single digits. You know. Yeah, yeah, and he is. He, he he's just one example of tons of these opportunities that are presented to you 
in week one, right? We didn't even talk about some of the guys that we're like bullish on for this for this season, whether it be uh, Antonio Gibson or DeAndre Swift, or you know, we didn't talk about the 49ers wide receivers. We didn't talk about there's so and and like if you played them, I would be like, yep, that's fine. You know, that, yep. that, that looks that looks good to me. And we but you know, that's just how many opportunities are presented to you. Uh, and like you said, not even just in week one. You know, in week two, this we're gonna have the same conversation. We're gonna be like. Dude, two weeks ago we were drafting whatever T. Higgins in the fourth round, and okay, he went three for forty-five in week one. That doesn't change anything about about T. Higgins, right? And so it's just a reminder about this this early season. So it's it's gotten me excited. So as we wrap up, you just got to pull up the week one slate. One one conviction call play could be an individual and it can't be AJ Brown. So I'm yeah. prefacing it with that. Cause non that, that was going to be it. <laughs> non AJ Brown. Who's like the first guy that you're like, based on everything we've talked about here, like ownership, all that kind of stuff. Who's the first guy that kind of jumps out to you. I'll say uh, Alpha Kamara outscores Christian McCaffrey. I think that's a pretty solid conviction play. I like it in new Orleans over under a 50 Panthers game. Jets in, in Carolina is only at 45. I, I do think he makes some good points about McCaffrey potentially, especially in week one. Um, I think uh, Kamara going like with the way that everything's trended, them just cutting Latavius Murray, they're not going to be completely confident in Tony Jones yet. We're yeah. going to see a big snap share out of Kamara. They are starting Jameis. We don't know how much Taysom's going to play, but you have to think that that you know that helps the pass rate. That might not stick all year. That's kind of a problem for Kamara in season long potentially. Thinking week one, they're going to give Jameis a little bit of a leash. He, he earned the job. They they named him the starter pretty early, you know, a couple weeks yeah. ago. I thought it would be like in this last week almost that they were mm -hmm. like still kind of toying with that or trying to throw off their their week one opponent. Um, so I think things are just setting up really, really nice, especially for Kamara in the first month. McCaffrey might be a little bit slow to build back to his massive workload, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I haven't dug in a ton, but I think that is going to be one that we could probably leverage a little bit to, to have some Camara Diggs lineups and no McCaffrey. I, I I love that. So piggybacking, it's also perfect that you, that you said Diggs. I'm going to combine for making a team right right now with these with these hot takes. CMC is going to be your fade of the elite because Kamara is the guy that you want. In turn, we're going to leverage CMC with the Panthers are the new Bills. And Sam Darnold is the new Josh Allen, and DJ Moore is the new Stefan Diggs. Okay. So you want to, you want CMC is the chalk running back, and so you're going to leverage off of him with the with the passing game. We can even throw in you bring it back with Elijah Moore, and and you got your Kamara, Darnold, DJ Moore. I mean, Moore, I'm definitely I'm definitely Moore. building this lineup. It might not have Darnold necessarily because I'm don't not be a quite coward. as stoked about Darnold. Don't Darnold. be a coward. <laughs> But it will have DJ Moore and it will have Kamara and it will have a Diggs or a Hill. I mean, that's a great lineup, I think. Yeah, so that that's kind of where where I'm headed. I think that uh, this was a really good. Uh, it was a fun conversation for for me too. But it was a, a really good, I think, kind of just way to get, like I said, get the juices flowing, get the get the wheel spinning for people heading into Week One in a little bit different manner than you know slate breakdowns or DFS 101s or whatever. Um, and so, yeah. That that is that is it for this. We will be back on Sunday morning on rotogrinders.com from 
Uh, I don't even know what, what you're out on the freaking West Coast. It's like, you know, 6 a.m. for you or, or, or whatever, you know. But from uh, 1130 to 1230 Eastern, we will be live on rotorgrinders.com, leading you up to lock every single Sunday. So if you don't like young players and you like running backs, we are probably going to be annoying you. But I, I feel confident that these kinds of conversations will be will be super helpful. Ben, is there anything you got going over these next couple of days that you, you need to put out there? Stealing signals, stealing bananas, anything? Yep, the stealing signal substack, bengrushoutsubstack.com. It's like eight bucks a month. Every week I do a full recap on Mondays and Tuesdays of every game. Highlight the signals and the noise. I wrote it at Roto-Grinders a couple of years ago, back when I was doing uh, the big Fantasy Insider stuff, RIP, uh, Fantasy Insiders. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, that's that's going to be. I, I know a lot of DFS players that really like that. I, I, I text with a lot of them and stuff. It's a really good early week way for them. I know to recalibrate player value, understand what kind of stuff was more more noisy, and and we can maybe leverage in the in the forward, you know, going forward, and then what kind of stuff is these signals of new trends that we want to be on early, um, even catch them maybe before they've manifested in a lot of fantasy points. So. That's a big one. I won't be doing that a lot in you know the next couple of weeks, but starting on uh, Monday and Tuesday after week one, I'll be I'll be hammering those articles out. So awesome, yeah. Make sure you make sure you. Uh, I will be reading intently for for sure, and I will probably be questioning Ben about uh, his his takes on on Sunday mornings. But uh, that's going to wrap it up for us, guys. Again, we will see you on Sunday mornings on Rotor Grinders, and for me and for Ben. And for DJ Moore and Sam Darnold and Alvin Kamara, we will we will see you guys in just a few days.